It's great to be here with you this morning. I don't know what I'm going to miss more uh, since we're concluding the book of James this morning. Uh, the book of James or that uh, promo video music uh, just sort of gets you going. Isn't it great to see the sun this morning? It's good to know it's still there, alive and well. It's good stuff. Um, but we are, we are concluding our winter series, FaithWorks Volume 2. And we started this journey through the book of James way back in the fall. And uh, here we are looking at this final message. And uh, you may recall, if you were here back in the fall, that we started out in James chapter 1, where James really taught us that the trials in life are not barriers to our spiritual growth. In fact, that the trials in life God uses to refine us, to draw us closer to Him, to allow us to to grow in Christ. And, and so he immediately called us to prayer. And so it's interesting that in this final section, he sort of begins the first section of James by saying pray. And he ends the final section in James talking about prayer. In fact, he shares with us five truths, uh, four about prayer and one about caring. And he does this in one big section. And I, I just want to warn you this morning, uh, even though there are only eight verses that we're going to look at, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. In fact, each of the truths would be worth uh, taking on their own, but yet James sort of clumped them together for a reason. And so I think it's, it, it's worth this morning just letting the Word of God wash over us as we look at some of the most clear teaching, most powerful teaching actually on prayer anywhere in Scripture. And, and then this powerful word on, um, on caring. And so he starts out by talking about sort of the individual at prayer. And, and you'll notice that in each of the prayer, prayer is mentioned specifically. I mean, he talks so directly about this topic. And so look at James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, now remember, James is writing this book, bearing his name, to let us know how to walk as Christians. Right, it's a very practical instruction guide. In fact, that's why I've said almost every single Sunday that we've looked at the book of James. I've said it's, it's a great study, whether you're someone just here checking out the things of Christ, you haven't yet bought in, but you're sort of investigating who Jesus is, or you've been walking with Christ for, for many, many decades, or anywhere in between. This is a great book because it describes what does a Christian look like? How is a Christian supposed to live? And, and so he starts this final section by talking about those who are suffering and those who are in times of, of great joy, who are, who are cheerful. And he says for both, um, pray and praise. Pray and praise. And we understand that suffering or trouble often can lead us to, to rebel against God. How many times have we gone through a difficult situation and thought, is God really there? And that's who James is writing to, those who would be tempted to give up because they're going through a difficult time. No, on the, on the, on, we call those the valleys. But on the other side of the spectrum, we have the mountaintops. And the mountaintops are times of ease. Don't we wish there were more of those? And in those time of ease, ease it's tempting, right, to think, well, I can do this one on my own. God, I know you're busy. You deal with the valley people, right? I'm okay. Things are going well. I can handle this. And, and James is writing to both groups and saying, no, 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 no. Both of you are dependent on God. Both of you need to be focused on the Lord. In fact, we as believers can confidently declare, we have a God for all seasons. Whether in the valleys or on the mountaintops, God is faithful. He is there. And so it's important to James that we believe that prayer and praise are the truest response in all circumstances. 
That we don't ignore God when, we're, when things are going well and that we don't give up on God when things are going difficult. That in both circumstances, we realize we're totally dependent on him. That prayer and praise is the truest response in all circumstances. That our whole life should be angled in a way towards God that whatever comes toward us is deflected into his presence. It's important to note that prayer may not remove our affliction, but it will definitely transform it. Have you found that to be true? Come on, Christian. That, that prayer may not remove it, but it will transform it as God uses it to transform us. And so he moves from the prayer of the individual to the prayer of the elder. And like I said, he, he just throws a lot in here. James chapter 5, 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, James moves from this prayer of the individual to the prayer of the elders. And let me just be really clear here. When James speaks of elders, he's speaking about leadership in the church, not just the pastoral team. And he's not talking about an elder board, as some church structures have. He's speaking of the biblical understanding of elders, which are appointed leaders within the church. And so he's talking about those leaders being called upon to pray over a sick individual. What's interesting is, is that this is the only passage in the New Testament that gives such direct advice concerning the ministry of healing. Although so many people have built great theologies on the ministry of healing, this is the, the really the only place in Scripture that specifically speaks so directly about a healing ministry within the church. And the elders engage in twofold ministry. They, they pray and they anoint with oil. And the two promises that are attached is that prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if sin should be involved in any way, he or she will be forgiven. Now, it's also important to note that the ministry here of, of praying over the sick isn't relegated to an individual who believes they have the gift of healing, which is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12.30. That this ministry to the sick is exercised by those recognized as leaders in a local church, the elders. Now, some have point, pointed to and have given a larger emphasis to the mention of sin possibly being involved in this illness. In fact, I want to be really clear. Some have really put together poor theology on this issue and have taught that if you're sick, it's because you have sinned. And, and that's not what James writes, and it's nowhere in Scripture does it teach that. And in fact, the Scripture does teach that there are some illnesses that may be caused by sin, but oftentimes, the illness that we have is because we live in a fallen world. Let me, let me say it this way. In heaven, no illness. Amen? Here's the reality. Back in the Garden of Eden, guess what? No illness. We live in the fallen in between, don't we? Which, guess what? There's illness. There's pain. There's suffering. I love the fact that the scripture says that there'll be no tears in heaven. Because sometimes when I worship, I find myself crying like a baby. And so I look forward to the time where I can worship and not cry like a baby. <laughs> Maybe that's just the guy part of me coming out. But I also get excited about a place where there's no illness. And so we need to be careful that we don't just attribute sickness to sin, but sickness to the fallen state in which we find ourselves in, in which we wrestle with. 
When James write of the anointing, writes of the anointing with oil, there's two significant meanings within Scripture. In Scripture, anointing with oil is often symbolic and sacramental of sort of the presence of God. But also in Scripture, it's an example of sort of being used for medicinal purposes. And I don't see why James can't mean both in this situation. I don't think one trumps the other. I think the Scripture speaks equally of both. What am I getting at? Well, there's enough in the New Testament to direct us to really prize those who are gifted in the medical profession. That we should cherish those who have such knowledge from God. And for instance, remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Jesus shares the story and he finds this man badly beaten, the Samaritan does, and he takes the man and what does he do? He applies oil and wine. Why? Because they were the medical practices of the day. That's all they had. Now, if that doesn't make us thankful for living in 2023, I don't know what does. <laughs> but he applies oil for soothing, and he applies wine for cleansing. And Jesus, among other things he did, praises this man for this, for this action. So here's the point. We ought to recognize the readily available and effective medical care of our day while we come to God in prayer. That we need to do both. That, that nowhere in scripture does it say that there's such a thing as non-spiritual healing. I think sometimes as Christians we think that there's spiritual healing and some other type of healing. But I want to tell you, if you take an aspirin and it works, it's because the Lord did it. If you go to a doctor and he sets your bones and, and they heal, it's because the Lord was part of your healing. There's no such thing as non-spiritual healing. There's no such thing as a medical professional that, that doesn't have a wisdom that God can use. And so think about it this way. James wrote in the very first chapter of, of James, he said, every good and perfect gift is from above God. Think about it. On no occasion should we believers visit a doctor without also approaching God in prayer. But there are times when the Spirit of God will lead us and lead a sick person to call upon the elders, the leaders of the church, to pray over them for a special time of prayer. And we should blend prayer and, and medical professionals, right, medicine, together when we care for the sick. We should understand that God works in both. He wants us to pray and he wants us to obey by, by, by taking care of ourselves and using what's around us to bring our healing. It's important to James that we believe that prayer is a genuine response to the problem of serious illness. And, and, and we also need to understand, too, that, that we don't want to be arrogant when we're praying to God. But there's no place for like some prideful confidence when we're in a, in a hospital room to, to decide how God's going to work. Because sometimes God brings healing and, and sometimes God doesn't bring direct healing. Sometimes people go home to see Jesus, which is the ultimate healing. I've had people tell me, no, God heals all the time. And I go, that's just not true. If he did, the apostle Paul would still be walking around. Eventually our bodies just give out. And Paul said it this way. Remember, he was, he was being persecuted. If you read the entirety of his scripture, Paul was sort of a frustrating person to be an enemy of. Because he said, listen, if you let me live, I'm going to preach the gospel. He said, if you persecute me, he said, I'll just identify myself with the persecution that Christ went through. And if you kill me, all the more gain, because I'll be in the presence of the Lord. Now that's a theology. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a person you really can't do much to. See, we, we do not insist that God will heal, but we do pray for healing. There's never an inappropriate time to pray for healing. But in that prayer, we pray that God's will be done. God's will be done. 
I saw this with my sister-in-law, Andrea, who was dealing with a, a very rare cancer in her lungs. And, and well-meaning believers telling her what God had told them, which, by the way, did not come to be true. But she could read the word and knew what God had told her, which was he would be faithful. And he was. Faithful as he extended her life longer than any doctor ever believed that her life would be extended. And faithful as he welcomed her into glory. Which, by the way, not bad to, to be able to be in the presence of the Lord here. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen, church? So he moves from this prayer of, of, of the elders to the prayer of friends. Look at the first part of verse 16. I told you it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, prayer is not only for the elders. It's, it's, it's for all of us as believers. And the sickness that James is speaking of here, he says, will be healed. But what is the sickness he's speaking of? Now, some have believed that, that this verse speaks of what often does happen when we find ourselves mired in sin and wanting to get out of it, where we seek out a brother and sister in Christ, and we sit with them, and we confess our sin, and we pray together to find healing. And that is a beautiful thing. However, James is not speaking of that here. Not at all. The text doesn't allow for that interpretation. James is directly talking about one brother who has offended another and going to them and confessing that sin and seeking reconciliation. The believer whom, whom James is, brings before us has not met to engage in this mutual confession of secret sins. Rather, it's because one Christian has sinned against another and is seeking the opportunity to make it right. And so James is deeply concerned uh, throughout the book of James, but especially in this verse, about the health of our fellowship with one another. And James looks at three things when, that once, when one seeks uh, healing fellowship. Three things have to be there for that healing in that relationship to occur. The first is a spirit of repentance. What's that mean? You come to someone and say, I'm sorry for what I did, and I, I want to do differently. I, I want to go a different direction. It's not enough to say, I'm sorry, but I'm, that's just who I am. I've often said, if you're one of those people that say, this is who I am, take it or leave it, don't be surprised when most people leave it. And, and so the person coming is coming with a spirit of repentance. They're saying, look, I, I want to I wanna do differently. I, I regret what I've done. They, a spirit of reconciliation, I, I desire for us to, to be made one again in our relationship and a spirit of prayer leading to healing. And so it's repentance, reconciliation, and this prayer leading to healing. And this is what's important for James, uh, to James for us to believe. Prayer has the power. Let me say that again. Prayer has the power to heal the sin-sick soul and sin-torn fellowship. When, when we bruise one another, when we hurt one another, but there's power available to us in prayer to come and reconcile. If we come with a heart of repentance, if we come in a spirit of reconciliation, if we come believing that God can heal relationships. And, and I want to speak these words of James, these words inspired by God over you this morning, that if you're in a relationship that's broken because of whatever, that this is God's plan to heal relationships, to come together in a spirit of, of repentance, reconciliation, with believing that God can heal that which we have broken. Amen, church? And then he moves on to what I really wanted to look at with you. The prayer of a righteous person. Now, by the way, I wanted to look at the other stuff too. But this one I'm really excited about. James 5, 16, second part of the verse, verse 18, to verse 18. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with the nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. To drive home the truth of the power of prayer, and the reason, because it just sort of brings the whole letter of James into this pinnacle of, of prayer. To drive home the, the power of prayer, James illustrates this account from the life of Elijah, and he uses this word great power. And in the Greek, this word great power means it, it like an inherent strength, the strength that makes a person or thing sufficient to the task. It means the potency or power waiting to be released. Uh, we might say it this way. Prayer is often an untapped resource. Isn't that true? Think of it this way. There are tracts of land that are, that are rich with mineral deposits that are yet to be excavated. It's there. It just has no use because it hasn't been dug up yet. And such is the picture James gives us uh, with prayer. Prayer is power. In fact, in some translations, it says the effective prayer. Here in the ESV, it says, as it is working. And what is James talking about? He says, prayer has the power to get things done. It has the power to get things done. And the illustration from Elijah's life shows that, that prayer carries a mighty punch. I mean, think about it. He prayed for drought, and for over three years, there's no rain. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. And then when, when God leads them, he prays for rain, and guess what? It rains. Now, that, that's power, church. That's power. Here it is. When we pray about something, the inherent power of prayer is released as an effective prayer that accomplishes its objective. Much has been written about this prayer of a righteous person. And this is the part I wanted to look at because I think this is sometimes looked at so wrongly. If James, because the word righteous sort of is a forbidding term, isn't it? I mean, you read it and you go, well, who's that referring to? <laughs> right? In fact, if what James meant by righteous was a perfect moral person, a person with perfect integrity, I don't want to offend anyone, but none of us could pray. At least our prayers wouldn't be effective, right? Because there are times we realize we fall short of that. Okay, maybe you don't, but the person next to you does, right? You know that. But, but, but he's, he says something interesting about Elijah, and we can't miss us. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, why would he point that out? Because he's saying Elijah wasn't special because he was Elijah. Elijah was special because of God in Elijah. Let that sink in for a minute. He was a man of a very nature, just like ours, yet God used him. Elijah was an ordinary person who simply was right with God. And if we were going to use the terminology of the book of James, he was a man who put his faith into practice. He was a man that, that put his faith into practice and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And I think of the words of Paul. Paul's writing about us believers. And he says, listen, he says, I made him who knew no sin. Who's that? Jesus. I made him who knew no sin to be sin so that through him you might be the righteousness of God. What's Paul teaching us? What's James teaching us? That we're righteous, not through our actions, we're righteous because of the actions of Jesus. That when Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, he didn't pay for some of them, he paid for all of them, and his righteousness covered us. Come on, church, if this isn't getting you excited this morning... 
And, and, and so when, when, when he talks about the effective prayer of a righteous person, he's speaking of every single believer walking with Jesus, trusting in Jesus. Those who by grace have given, been given the status of righteousness in God's sight, believers have been brought into a realm where effective prayer operates and have been given the right to exercise the ministry of prayer. What did Elijah do with prayer? No rain. Three years or more, right? Three and a half years. Well, let it rain. It rains. Now, he did that because God led him. Don't try doing that in midsummer when you want a nice day. He was walking with God. But think of what James has written about prayer up until this point. The prayer of the individual, the prayer of the elders, right? He talks about reconciliation prayer. And then he wants us to understand, and by the way, that prayer has power if you're in Jesus. Prayer is a mere human believer partnering with God to move mountains. It's human prayers, divine results. The prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of a believer, accomplishes much. Then he moves from these four truths on prayer to one on caring. Listen, look at what he writes, James 5, 19 to 20. And just picture, he's written this whole letter on what it means to walk with Jesus. And usually, what do you write at the end of the letter? Something you don't want someone to forget. He's written of all the challenges that, that come our way as followers of Christ. He, he, he could have ended with this powerful mentioning of prayer, couldn't he? But he didn't. He takes two last two verses to, to talk about caring for one another because he understands that the Christian journey is a difficult one. So he writes, look at verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whomever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Truth and life are always meant to be together. And in God's church, truth and life are not negotiable. It's our task to care and rescue. Here it is. Every Christian fellowship is a place of truth and holiness. And what does James mean by wandering from the truth? Well, in James' day, his understanding, the Jewish understanding of truth, was what one knows and what one does. It's the wedding of theology, gospel, and praxology, and practice, and action. It's the marriage of what we know to be true of God and how we walk in that truth. He says a person has wandered from this. Is James speaking of apostasy? Well, what's that? It can be general apathy that increases or leads to abandoning the faith. It can consist of open rebellion that eventually causes us to walk away from the faith. And there's different camps in the church that some believe that apostasy is not possible. Some would say if you walk with Christ for years at least apparently and sort of walk away from it, you were never a believer. Others would say you were a believer but slowly began to drift away. I'm simply going to say I don't care. That's man-man's understanding of Scripture. They have titles that men came up with. What James writes that's so important is that this believer is not abiding in Christ. They've wandered away from the truth. And all scholars, no matter what camp they find themselves in, if they're biblical scholars, agree that the person wandering from the truth of Christ is in trouble and needs help. And what does James say? Go help them. Go help them. 
Each of us knows the challenge of living a life in full commitment to Jesus. Anyone find that challenging? Many of us know what a blessing it is of a brother and sister in Christ run after us and bring us back to the Lord. And the scripture says this, the one who brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And that word cover means total, like total payment. It's like we have enough to pay all your bills. That's what that word means. Through the blood of Jesus Christ's sacrificial death, God has dealt with our sin. And as we return to Christ, he, he cleanses us. He, he's sufficient. He has what we need to, to make us right with him once again. And when we become aware of someone from our fellowship lapsing from the truth, walking away, we don't sound the trumpet to make it known to everyone. We simply privately go to them in love. This love that covers a multitude of sins is this work of Jesus Christ. Because by the way, we're not the Savior. Who is? Jesus is. And so it says we saved them. It's sort of in a way of we brought them to the one who can. You understand that, right? Like, we don't want to run around like we have the Savior complex, right? Like, he's the only one. But we have power to go and in love, point them back to Jesus who can save their soul. So care and for fellow believers is the responsibility of every believer. I remember when I was in high school wandering away from the faith and having some friends reach out to me, and I was pretty much, uh, I guess now you would say ghosting them, and uh, one day they, they showed up. My, they, they made like a deal with my mom. That she told them I'd be home, and they showed up, and they said, hey, do you want to go over to Biff Burgers, which, by the way, is closed now, but it was God's gift to the world. It was uh, some of the most amazing hamburgers in the world. And, and they, they said, you want to go to Biff Burgers? Well, I couldn't go to them anymore because they were going to buy, buy me food. And so I said, sure. And we went, and I remember they lovingly, it was three, three friends of mine, sat across and said, what are you doing? Not only do we miss you, but man, you're heading in the wrong direction. I remember I had like a burger in me, so I was, I was very, very attentive. <laughs> and I remember sitting there and just, yeah, you're right. You're right. That Sunday I was in church. Never wandered away since. But I wonder, I wonder what would have happened. Had they figured, man, he seems to not care. I guess we shouldn't care either. They pursued me with the love of God. They pursued me with the love of God. There's power in the love of Christ. And James, writing to, to believers who understand the struggle of this walk we're on, the journey. Anyone who says that Christianity is a cop-out hasn't ever walked the road we walked. It's not an easy road. It's just the better road. Understand the importance of doing life together, not just with the Lord, but with one another. That's why it's important, Jesus says, that, that we keep our eyes on him, but it's also important as we see throughout the New Testament, we don't forsake the gathering, the gather of one another. So we can be together, encourage each other, worship the Lord together, pray for each other. Prayers that, that, that can move mountains with each other. We claim healing over each other. And you know what? We walk into victory in eternity with each other. My goodness, if that doesn't stir your soul this morning. And James 
James shares with us these five truths that prayer and praise are the truest response to all circumstances. That prayer is a genuine response to the problem of serious illness. That prayer has the power to heal the sin-sick soul and sin-torn fellowship. That prayer is powerful and has supernatural results when engaged by believers. And care for fellow believers is the responsibility of every single believer. And he stated, James did in chapter 1, that, that we needed to pray. And he ends with this powerful word of prayer and care. And when everything is said and done, James taught us that the Christian life is not a matter of simple belief, but also practice. We are to live what we believe. Or as a statement I came across some time ago that's, that's been challenging to me, is this, the person who thinks about doing something is always beaten by the person doing something. Isn't that the truth? The person always, thinking about doing something is always beaten by the person doing something. And, and James says, he's not saying to us, don't think about your faith. Grow, think about your faith, study. But my goodness, don't study and not do. Right? Don't study and not do. And he says, and if you do, be ready, because God's got you for an adventure. And if you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, why not this morning? Why not enter into that relationship that God has created you for? He is pursuing you even this morning. And for all of us who are walking with Jesus, all he asks us to do is take the next step with him. Isn't that the good news? We don't have to take the next 50. You can't do that, by the way. One step at a time, whatever that next step is, just take the next step with him on this journey he has you on, this amazing journey of walking with Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for inspiring James to write this book that he wrote nearly 2,000 years ago. And yet as we've studied it week after week for, for several, many weeks now, Lord God, we thank you for all the truths that have been gleaned out of it. But Lord, we don't want to be mere studiers of your word, although we do want to study your word. We want to be committed to studying your word. But we want to be doers of it as well. Thank you for the way that, that James has, has closed his book to us, these, these powerful words on prayer. So much in this, these eight verses. It's hard to believe that, that something didn't stir one of us. Whether it be this morning receiving you as Lord and Savior, coming to you and saying yes to Jesus, saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. Thank you for this amazing gift of life that I have in you. And if a person's made that decision this morning, I just celebrate with them, and whether they're on campus or online. And I pray, Lord God, that they would reach out to us so we can help them in their, their journey. We're not meant to do life alone. We're meant to do it with you and one another. And we're here to help people take their next step and their next step and their next step with you. And that leads me to the rest of us sitting here this morning as followers of yours. Whatever that next step is that you're calling us to, God, would we be faithful to take it? And Lord, if we're struggling to take that next step, maybe our prayer is simply, God, would you be willing to make us willing to take it? Thank you for meeting us where we're at, always meeting us where we're at, then helping us take that next step with you. Thank you for the power we have in prayer. Thank you for the, the great privilege we have in caring for one another, understanding that it's all done under your name, under your power. You're the one who saves. You're the one who heals. You're the one who, Lord God, through salvation, ushers us into paradise for eternity. 
And we thank you for that. We thank you for all that you've done. As we spend some time in remembrance of that in this time of communion, Lord God, would you meet with us in a powerful way as we just once again thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us so completely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.